This episode of the Missions Podcast is sponsored by the Global Gospel Fund. You know, here on the show, we're driven by the conviction that eternity matters, time is short, and missionaries should be free to do the work that God has called them to do. Unfortunately, too many missionaries lose precious man hours managing the logistics of moving overseas, navigating visa structures, figuring out how to educate their kids, finding insurance, and more. And people who try to go it alone in missions without an agency don't usually realize how intense some of this work can be until it's too late. The Global Gospel Fund has a solution. Each gift to the Global Gospel Fund allows ABWE to serve more than a thousand missionaries with vital ministry-shaping resources, leadership, planning, care, and counseling by a team of more than 70 experts at our headquarters who know them by name, are praying for them, and are cheering them on. If you're burdened for missions this giving season but aren't sure how to best invest, the Global Gospel Fund is a great way to bless gospel-focused missionaries doing real evangelism, real church planting, and real compassion work across 70 countries. Become a Global Gospel Fund partner today at abwe.org slash globalgospelfund and enjoy today's show. Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. My name is Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE International, joined, as always, by Scott Dunford, Vice President of Mobilization and Communications. And I'm forgetting our job titles because it's two in the afternoon. But uh, Scott, I'm really excited about the conversation that we're having today. Uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast for a little while knows that William Carey comes up pretty often for us. I remember when I was new on staff here at ABWE, um, you were interviewing me in front of the whole headquarters and, you know, you asked me on the fly, who's your favorite missionary? And I said, William Carey. And then we both had a moment because we both realized that William Carey was our favorite historic missionary. But today, you know, we've had episodes talking about William Carey, Mm -hmm. but uh, we want to look at the pastor behind William Carey. We want to talk about someone who's maybe a little bit less well-known, but still a hugely important person to focus on in missionary history. Uh, but before we do that, we've brought in an expert. Yeah, so glad to, to have with us um, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Travis Myers, uh, who is joining us. He's uh, a, a professor there at, at Bethlehem College and Seminary, um, did his graduate studies at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, William Carey International University, and then did his PhD um, at Boston University in Gordon-Conwell. And we're really excited to have you. Could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and some of the things that, that you've been able to to, to uh, be involved with over the years and why uh, you even care about missions um, from, from the professor's standpoint. Certainly. Well, first, thanks for having me on the podcast. I certainly appreciate your endeavor to help thinkers go and goers think, to share that sense of, of calling in my own teaching ministry. But uh, the Lord saved me when I was a 22-year-old junior at university, um, putzing my way through and uh, gradually convicted me of uh, sin and set me on a search for the meaning of life by his grace. And uh, Hmm. I had always been interested in history and other cultures uh, just naturally. And uh, he used both those things as the way he drew me to himself um, by bringing a a staff worker along the way who shared a love for history and walked me through the gospel of Matthew and particularly uh, showing how Matthew presents Christ fulfilling so many Old Testament script uh, prophecies was very significant. And then uh, meeting a fellowship of of believers who were, uh, it was very international and um, seeing that uh, indeed Christ uh, was savior and Lord of, of people from every tribe and tongue. And that that was what this era of history was about was, um, God creating a people mm-hmm. for himself uh, through 
uh, Christ. Um, and uh, so from the very beginning of my Christian uh, walk, I've been excited about the, the global body of Christ and God's, um, I, I, I guess I say this, his overarching purpose in, in history. And um, which uh, I sort of feel like that coming to faith was um, the, the end point of a search for the meaning of life. And I I tell people when I, you know, mission to mobilize, uh, missions, um, global missions is the meaning of this age. And so it doesn't mean everyone becomes a missionary, but we have to line ourselves up with uh, God's overarching goal for this era. And yeah. so every faithful believer, like John Piper says, a goer or a sender or disobedient, um, mm. be involved in, in one way or another of uh, that uh a great endeavor. And, and you've so, had experience yourself yeah. teaching overseas. Is that right? Did you uh, uh-huh. work in Cameroon for a while? That's right. Uh, so I, yeah, well, we, we, we came to Bethlehem from the Chicago area uh, after a uh, uh, rocky start to our marriage. I was a seminary dropout and kind of uh, <laughs> reassessing maybe God's call on my life. Mm. Uh, um, uh, the idea of Christian hedonism had been very significant to us. And uh, we, we moved up to Minneapolis to check that out and see how that influenced a, a church and mm. its ministries. And so, you know, looking for a hospital, as it were, a spiritual hospital, mm. uh, uh, to grow spiritually, but also to continue training uh, like we had been in seminary for ministry someday. And Bethlehem had a historic connection with um, uh, Baptist Convention in Cameroon and their seminary there. So after five years at Bethlehem, we were sent by the church as global partners uh, with the denomination to teach. And the again, the, the ultimate goal that we had was missions and mobilization of Cameroonian believers through um, sound theological education. So just teaching the Bible from that whole Bible, um, Christ-centered, you know, redemptive historical perspective of where God is taking things and where we are in that hmm. in, in the drama of redemption. And um, it was uh, a good two and a half years there, and uh, the Lord really blessed it and uh, felt that He sort of was directing me back to seminary and to complete an MDiv and to get a terminal degree so I could would be uh, as equipped as I could be academically for a teaching ministry going forward. You know, I, I know you did your dissertation on John Elliott, and I would love at some point to have you back on and talk about him and his ministry um, uh, working with the Indians and Jim Elliott. No, John Elliott. John Elliott. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just That's right. Oh, man, we should oh, just. We should, when we, you said Indians, I was. Th- OK, we, we need to educate Alex on Aka, John Elliott. I was thinking the Aka Indians. Oh, man. <laughs> Alex, sorry, we just had a great moment there. I don't know if you realize that, Travis, but we caught Alex not knowing something. He's a pretty smart guy. Uh, okay. But uh, but I'd love to have you more often than you want. We'd like to talk sometime in the future about John Elliott. Um, but but we're we're talking a little bit today um, about Andrew Fuller. So who is this guy, Andrew Fuller? Um, can you just tell us a little bit about him and why um, why he he had a, a unique place in missions history? Sure. Yeah. Andrew Fuller is, uh, was a pastor of pastors and, uh, he was a pastor to, uh, the man many regard as the father of the modern Protestant missions movement, William Carey. But Andrew Fuller had written, uh, had published a book about a decade before, uh, Carey and the rest of that team was sent to India from England. He published, uh, a refutation of 
what was considered uh, what we would consider hyper Calvinism, which was trending in the day, which was a theological argument that people made, or at least it had implications uh, that deterred people from making you know indiscriminate offers of the gospel or um, d- doing much evangelism. And uh, Fuller was a um, so a Baptist a dissenter at that point. You know, not a part of the. The uh, state church uh-huh. meant uh, you had certain obstacles, like you weren't allowed to go to the, the university and study divinity formally. Um, but um, he was a student uh, of Jonathan Edwards and uh, employed a lot of Edwards theology to res- to refute hyper Calvinism in England. And, um, you know, the Baptist churches were small and they, uh, like many in the states over the years, um, organize themselves in associations, uh, congregations with other congregations for the sake of fellowship and partnership and and ministry and pooling resources together. And Fuller just rose, you know, um, as a pastor of pastors and was usually the association chair um, of the Northamptonshire Association uh, that Kerry was also part of as a bivocational pastor of a small church. And so Carrie would have been influenced by Fuller's writing and Fuller's preaching and Fuller's leading of meetings of um, pastors in the area. Yeah, because so for, for people might, that might not know some of the background, when William Carey was um, in trying to mobilize people towards missions and and uh, engaging his own missionary calling, he was told by the hyper-Calvinists around him of the day, you know, essentially, you don't need to go to the pagans. God can save them if he jolly well pleases. Uh, and so what you're really talking about here is that, um, you know, with this, uh, this this book or pamphlet that, that uh, Fuller publishes, um, The Gospel Worthy of All Acceptation, Mm-hmm. Uh, is that he's saying that, you know, in spite of the fact that, yes, God is, in spite of his poor choice of words, but God is sovereign over salvation. Um, God controls everything, yet we're still responsible to go and we're still responsible to preach. And that was something that the Calvinistic Baptists of that day um, didn't fully understand, but that really helped give rise to the whole modern missionary movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important that we acknowledge that hyper-Calvinists were, were operating um, according to their conscience, their scruples, their theological convictions. They were trying to be faithful to God and his word and how God works. So, um, you know, despite the fact that they were wrong about certain things mm. and it had some tragic consequences. Um, but yeah, yeah, Fuller, you know, borrowed from Edwards to say that even though, you know, the non-elect are incapable, as it were, to respond in faith. That doesn't mean it's wrong for us to cast the net wide and indiscriminately, not knowing who the elect are. And um, so what I like to emphasize, though, in talking about Carrie and Fuller is that, you know, Carrie is often presented as this uh, lone wolf crying in the wilderness of, you know, anti-missionary thinking. Mm. But in reality, he'd been he'd been influenced a lot by Fuller and other pastors in that association who were who were missions minded and who were or, who were organizing, you know, month monthly um, association meetings for prayer that God would pour out his spirit on the world and save the, the nations. And um, there were Methodists, too, and members of other denominations that were sort of cross-pollinating and they were listening to each other um, speak and influencing one another. And so there was, there was missions foment going on that, that he was as much a victim of as a sort of a, you know, proponent or, or the uh, propagator himself. So one thing that's kind of encouraged me about the the story is that, you know, 
you know, reading some of the biographies of William Carey, I haven't read as much on, on Andrew Fuller, but that these were small churches, like really struggling. I remember reading some early biographies of Carey and even some of his letters and journals and, and you know, like there was months that he went very hungry and didn't have hardly enough to eat. And yet these churches were serious about missions. Um, these aren't these, you know, sometimes we can think today like, oh, only a big church like Bethlehem can send missionaries. But here it was like these small churches, right? Right. Yeah. The value, again, of an association, of a denomination, uh, uh, a matrix for for pooling resources and mm. sharing uh, not just financial resources, but, you know, energy and um, ideas and and personnel. So, yeah, that's definitely what's happening. And you know, Fuller, uh, you know, once the, uh, the 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 Northamptonshire Baptist Association was convinced that, that the time was right to send a team, uh, Fuller would be the first general secretary of that missions board. This is, uh, you know, kind of an aside, but working for an organization called like ABWE stands for the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. And that's always a mouthful. Our secret cell. Mm-hmm. So I, I, take, for now. I take some comfort in the fact that uh, Fuller's organization was called the Particular Baptist Society for Propagation of the Gospel Amongst the Heathen. So comparatively, <laughs> like we actually have a really catchy name. So uh, I don't so know that that's kind of catchy. That's kind of catchy. <laughs> they did change it to uh, to something much similar, much uh, simpler to remember. So maybe there's a, a lesson there, but, uh, <laughs> kind of interesting. So, um, so, so Fuller was heavily involved in, in kind of casting this idea. And that probably was an idea that William Carey caught from Fuller, um, amongst other influences like the scriptures and, you know, uh, you know the writings of, of others that had traveled. Um, so, but, but his ministry didn't just end in that mobilization sending aspect. So what, what, what did his ministry look like involved in missions as William Carey was going to the field, he still stayed connected to Carey, didn't he? Yeah, he did. That's right. So um, he, he was the general secretary. So he stayed in correspondence with their missionaries uh, in, in South Asia um, and did some consulting, advising, uh, but also encouraging. Um, he was... Um, very energetically involved in raising support, and he visited other uh, countries in uh, in Britain, um, speaking and and trying to persuade people to help financially. Um, he wrote articles for um, some of the missions magazines that were emerging and other evangelical journals, uh, just to promote what was going on and again to raise awareness and interest and support. And um, what I find interesting perhaps um, more than anything, was his um, political involvement. Um, he was lobbying parliament a lot uh, because, again, as from a dissenting non-Anglican denomination, the Baptists were not allowed legally in British territories or colonies. And that's why Carey and the rest first worked in a Danish part mm-hmm. of India. And Fuller would lobby both the parliament and the government-owned trading company leaders to get permissions for missionaries to to, 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 to work uh, there. And finally, in 1813, uh, a law was changed, uh, or they, they sort of, the Baptists gained a, a longstanding uh, entitlement to territories. But uh, that was 20 years after the sending of wow. Gary and the 
So what does Andrew Fuller tell us about what a pastor's role in mobilization can be? Because I think for the average pastor out there, you're tired, you're weighed down enough already with the cares of domestic ministry. And uh, it can be it can be difficult to focus intentionally on sending and supporting missionaries um, when you are responsible to to oversee the whole flock, the vast majority of which uh, is is not going to be called to the field. Um, but Andrew Fuller really models something that's really intentional. Um, what, what are some lessons that we can gain from him? You know, I don't know a whole lot about what his ministry actually looked like as a local church pastor and elder. Um, I'm sure he had fellow elders uh, in the con- same congregation as well as others in the association. He worked 10 hours a day just as general secretary uh, doing <laughs> things, uh, tasks, you know, to serve the mission. So I don't know how much he slept or didn't sleep. <laughs> That's actually so. So but when there is a plurality of elders, then you can spread out some of those responsibilities and pastors do have the freedom to be more intentionally involved in missions. I think that's a good point. And um, also, perhaps as pastor of a smaller congregation, there was less uh, work, which afforded him more time for the mission, too. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, to note, um, you know, here here he was on the on the English side, um, certainly stirring up missionaries to go, but then also realizing that because the missionaries like William Carey um, are serving in India, there still would work was work to be done here. And so he's taking up that task of really advocating for missions, um, as you just mentioned, you know, on the political side, um, continuing to build the theological foundations, or, or I shouldn't say build them, but drawing them out of scripture and, and proclaiming them to the churches and making sure that the, the, the church associations back home are strong and their support. Because I, I know that there was some times when William Carey uh, struggled uh, financially, and it was a fuller on the backside that was involved in, you know, encouraging and also continuing to raise financial support for those missionaries. Yeah, and I think their context, in some ways, was more similar to our own than we realized because the colonialists on the ground didn't like the presence of missionaries because they upended mm-hmm. things, they caused mm-hmm. controversy, and they just. Uh, you know, colonialists, the trading companies and their agents just wanted, you know, status quo. Um, They weren't concerned about people coming to Christ. They didn't know Christ themselves, but, but in the state or on the, at home in England too, whether it was parliamentarians or just the, the typical, you know, populace, um, most people were not Christians. They would have been nominal Christians, but, um, you know, uh, Fuller wrote a um, argument for, evangelizing Hindus, that Hindus needed Christ. And so Mm. there were people who didn't think they did. And so therefore didn't, you know, want to invest in a, in a missionary endeavor. So he was called it apologetics, um, you know, uh, as was a part of his support of the the mission. You had mentioned in, in the article that you had written, um, that Fuller spent, you know, up to 10 hours a day in correspondence and reporting and writing articles uh, for different for different magazines. Um, 10 hours a day? Up to. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so here he is, you know, preaching, pastoring, helping run a, a, a fledgling mission organization, um, but then also taking the time to contribute to, to, the, to you know, to um, just the, the thinking of the church about what the, the cause of missions. Um, it seems like that would say something to pastors, too, about the responsibility. Is it, it's not just missionaries who need to be involved in, in continuing this work of, of mobilization, but that it, 
pastors need to do that theological and missiological work as well. Writing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Something I appreciate about ABWE is the local church centered under uh, ecclesiology and understanding of missions. And, uh, the 18th century British Baptists would have been had the same ecclesiology and understood that this was the task of local congregations and pastors. And so Fuller had the mind of a, a shepherd of those he sent, though he did realize, you know, the limitations in that day of uh, truly knowing what was going on on the field and that the correspondence took a long time to go back and forth. So he allowed a lot of leeway, um, but it but that doesn't mean that he didn't at times take take a doctrinal stand or, you know, um, disagree with something uh, regarding practice on the field and try to do something about it. So there was the pastoral encouragement as well as the sort of missiological accountability, um, sense of responsibility. Um, and, um, yeah, we definitely see that in his ministry. You know, that, that just really just gets my mind going because this podcast and a lot of the resources that we and others like us try to do are bridging the worlds of theology, you know, and discourse and writing on all those things with the world of missions. And we see today that there's this gulf between missiologists that are, um, you know, looking at a lot of sociology and, and, and cultural factors, but they're, they're over here. And the the systematic theologians are over here. And in between is a great gulf fixed. Um, You have the practitioners and you have the ivory tower folks. And and again, there's a separation there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think part of the problem there is you have theology and, and, and deep study and reflection being done by people who aren't pastors. And so really, if you think of Andrew Fuller as a, as a pastor to missionaries, you know, maybe the reason that we have that gap in there today is because we have plenty of pastors and we have a decent handful of missionaries, obviously never enough, but we don't have enough pastors for missionaries. We don't have enough people that have one foot in the missions world and the other foot in the local church. And they're, they're back home holding the rope, you know, as William Carey said, holding the rope while the missionaries go down. Um, but they're, they're wrestling through these issues of missiology, of, of practice, of, of theology of missions um, for the sake of the people that they've sent and for the sake of the people back home. And it, take, it, it doesn't just take an academic's heart to do that. It doesn't just take a blogger or a podcaster to do that. It takes a, a shepherd's heart. And it, it sounds like you're saying that, that Fuller model, models that for us. Yeah, he does. And, and pastors today need to um, do their best to stay on top of current missiological conversations and controversies and trends in mission strategy. Um, it's interesting. You, 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 you uh, uh, trace um, back to this maybe divide of church and, and missions uh, that a lot of um, suspect mm-hmm. things are happening and, and mm-hmm. strategies driven by pragmatics and sociology that lack mm-hmm. real sound theological uh, insight and faithfulness uh, to biblical principles. Because um, I, maybe it's because my world is more academic, you know, I see it starting there where there's been a um, sort of institutional siloing, right, between Very those who so. really want to go deep, do the deep dive in theology and those who want to be missionaries. The the missionaries and their programs and their departments, you know, they often don't get the top notch biblical training. And um, so, you know, from the get go, as they're preparing, um, they just aren't trained to handle the scriptures uh, as well as I think they should. If they're going to be on the front lines engaging non-Christians, those who are totally illiterate from uh, regarding a biblical worldview, you know, they, they need to be the most adept handlers of scripture. They're going to be hearing questions about 
Christianity or the Bible that maybe no systematic theology prof at any seminary in the States has ever been asked before. <laughs> that's true. So, it, um, so that's just a, um, that to me, that's part of what happens, why you've got so much trending literature about how to do missions that um, basically is reverse engineered uh, from things that uh, the authors um, think they've seen that worked. And then there's a lot of biblical uh, suspect biblical proof texting that those of us who are more trained biblically just find, you know, hard to swallow. and makes it hard to to uh, trust uh, anything that, that they've written. So, yeah, that's that's a real issue. Um, I was just with uh, a global partner from Bethlehem serving in the Middle East. He's been doing it for over a decade. He went through our our two year seminary program back when that's all we had. Um, and um, really sound guy. I really respect him, his knowledge of the word, his his faithfulness, his boldness with uh, Muslims, his love for them and compassion. And uh, we were talking about this issue. And I said, you know, I just kind of get the sense that maybe 85% of American evangelical missionaries aren't well-trained in the word. They don't have a good handle on it. And um, that's at the root of, of so many problems. And he said that was his sense as well, hmm. his best guess. And he said, I even met uh, a missionary uh, recently who hadn't read the entire Bible. Um, wow. And he's out trying to uh, share Christ with Muslims. Wow. And yet here we have this really the opposite uh, picture here with, with Fuller and, and by extension Carrie, where um, it was his knowledge of the word and passion for the word and passion for theology that actually caused him to go against the grain and develop a missiology. Uh, he, was, a, he was reading his Bible so much that he realized that missions was biblical. <laughs> And right. Yeah. And, and what a pattern that should be for us who now are hearing a lot about the world, um, but mm -hmm. also need to, to know the word <laughs> as, yeah. as, as, as ridiculous as that sounds, as I'm saying it, it does, I mean, but it, it's obvious, but yeah, but it's not obvious, unfortunately. Yeah, there's definitely a place for, you know, we need to know the word and the world. And um, there are a lot there. there are, I'm around a lot of folks who know a lot about the the word and uh but they could know a lot more about the world and the context they want to do ministry and 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 how the people operate and what they assume there to be more i think wise and and communicate more clearly and well but uh there's sociology anthropology are important handmaids to the to the work of, of missions that, you know, missiology is interdisciplinary, but we've got to always assess claims from those disciplines um, through um, sound theological principles in a scriptural lens. And sometimes uh, the cart gets put before the horse, but yeah, keeping them together, but in right, right order is what's critical. So you've done a lot of work and I, I'm, I hope I'm not throwing you a curveball here. Um, it's a little, it's, it's on topic, but a little off topic, but uh, you've done a lot of work on, on, on like William Carey's, um, the, the, uh, theological, like what, what, what he desired and, and the theological, um, motivations for William Carey's work. And as we're, we're kind of seeing here, like William Carey and Andrew Fuller are not separated. I mean, they're two in different individuals, but a lot of their development was happening together. And a lot of their influences, um, 
Fuller influenced a lot of William Carey's thinking and kind of emerging together. So what were, from, from the best you can understand, what were some of those motivations that, that drove that, that British missionary society and missionaries like William Carey and, and senders like, um, like Andrew Fuller? What were some of those theological motivations that really drove them? Yeah, well, I'd start by saying they saw the the storyline of Scripture. They knew that uh, God was fulfilling uh, promises and prophecies He'd given to the people of Israel now through Christ and the Church and the Spirit's work in the world, and that the uh, this day of salvation between the two comings of Christ was intended to be a time of extending the kingdom of Christ. That the Messiah was building His Church, and by His Spirit's use of His word uh, proclaimed and put into practice by his people and um, that uh, a kingdom of light was dispelling uh, the darkness of the kingdom of Satan and was taking ground as churches were planted in more places among more people. So it was that redemptive historical understanding from a call it biblical theological um, um, understanding and, um, you know, a kingdom theology, uh, uh, biblical understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit and um, that God was liberating um, people from the, the slavery it is to worship idols and to believe uh, false religions and to try to appease whatever ultimate power you believe is there in, in, in wrong ways. So the people were being liberated, too, by the advance of the gospel and the spread of Christianity. And again, that, that was uh, as a part of Christ's kingdom and a recipient of God's love oneself. Um, you know, Carrie wrote in the inquiry that one proof that you have experienced the spirit of the benevolent God is that you feel benevolence toward the lost mm. uh, toward other people. Mm. And so, um, those were, yeah, those were some more of the other theological factors that, that propelled him. Well, and what you're really talking about here is a theology that views um, the people of God as one people of God, that there's a continuity between the Old and New Testament, which, you know, these were the particular Baptists. They were they were Reformed Baptists. So, you know, they were inheriting a lot from the Reformation, um, from particularly what became what's now the Presbyterian stream of that. Um, but they, they didn't conflate everything. They obviously knew there was some difference between the church and Israel that, you know, they didn't believe, for instance, that baptism was the new circumcision and therefore they're going to baptize all of their infants. They So they saw a discontinuity, but overwhelmingly the emphasis was on the unity of God's kingdom, of God's people and what he's doing now in expanding, you know, what was just geopolitical Israel. Now it's this spiritual kingdom that's drawing in people from all nations, tribes and tongues. And I think that's something that we really need to regain. So my question for you would be, for someone who's interested in missions, um, for somebody who has a heart for other cultures, for for ministry, for outreach, but you know, they're just sitting there and they're thinking, I'm not, I'm not bookish. You know, I don't get passionate about systematic theology or uh, or, or whatever it is. Um, what what are the theological themes and concepts? And you hit on some of them there. You talked about kingdom. You talked about some of those other things happening in this, you know, this present age between Christ's first and second comings. Uh, what would be the the theological things that Fuller and others would point us to that could really enrich us and help us to see God's plan and his heart for the nations. I mean, every believer wants to know how the Bible fits together, right? Mm. They want to know God's uh, purpose for their life. And so again, I would point to the fact that the way the Bible fits together 
points us to a meaning for this age that should have huge implications for every believer's life and where they position themselves in the world and what kind of uh, work they do. And, um, and, and sort of the overarching, again, the, the way that history is progressing and we, what we saw great advance in over the 20th century is the, the kingdom of Christ breaking into to new ethno-linguistic groups and more and more people's coming to that, uh, to be a part of, you know, the one new man in Christ and the, the, the omni-ethnic people of God that will, you know, one day be around the throne of, of God and the lamb. So, um, just seeing how that's how the Bible fits together. That's the big picture, what it means to be a believer in this age, although there's so much more involved in discipleship, right? And how you relate to, to believers and the lost in your own place. Um, but, um, you know, um, knowing the, getting back to the theme of knowing the world. So whether it's just being aware of international events, um, I, I am always recommending the economist, the British journal, because it's uh-huh. so full of, of good, helpful information about other parts of the, the world. And, um, you can learn about cultural trends and political, all kinds of things influence the context and the people's living in them uh, who need Christ and where missionaries need to be sent. So just being aware of the world in a way that's unusual for the typical American. So um, accessing certain media outlets like the BBC, uh, which does a great job of global coverage. Um, and um, and that's what drove Kerry. Uh, he was reading the journals of Captain Cook, uh-huh. a British explorer uh-huh. who was um, not a missionary or exploring for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, but was publishing journals of his discoveries and the peoples he was encountering and the types of religions they were they were practicing. And, and so Kerry was reading secular sources about the world and um, getting burdened, you know, and getting inspired. So um, that would be something else I, I would... I would say. And looking at history and looking at the news and looking at the cultures around us, not in this pessimistic way where, you know, well, the world's going to hell in a hen basket and Jesus is coming back soon, but reading that through the lens of scripture, which is Christ's ultimate victory, what he's done um, in inaugurating the kingdom in his first coming, and then it'll be brought to its consummation as at his second coming. That's, you know, so, so it's digging a little bit beneath some of the pessimism of the headlines, right? Yeah, that's that's right. And understanding that God in his sovereign providence, you know, I would never pray for tragedy to happen someplace or people to suffer. But uh, God often uses those those things to open doors for Christian um, people from the outside to get in, to bring relief and to proclaim the gospel, to access people. Um, in missions. And so just being aware of what open doors exist, whether it's something like that or it's economics, you, you know, there's all kinds of things a person, for example, could be doing in China and maybe even getting paid by the Chinese government to teach English and uh, so that you can live near unreached people groups and um, sh- share the gospel, you know, make uh, be intentional about that while you do your job. So strategically placing yourself somewhere in the world to do what you love to do and what you feel God has made you to do and what he has blessed, uh, whether it's, quote, secular kind of vocation or full-time ministry, but just being aware that in today's globalized world, you can really, uh, there there are more opportunities, I think, than most people realize, especially Americans, um, to, to live and work and engage uh, the unengaged um, um, in other parts of the world. 
One one thing you you wrote in your in your article on on Fuller that that hit me, and I think it should be a good encouragement to pastors who God hasn't maybe God hasn't called them to go overseas as missionaries, but He is calling them to be a pastor that is supporting and sending missionaries. Is this is that William is that Fuller lived and died a martyr to the mission? And uh, when I read that quote, I thought that was a, mm. p- a powerful statement of a life, um, not as a missionary. Um, but as a faithful pastor, believing the Great Commission and believing the commands of Jesus and that the, the glory of Jesus is worth sacrifice um, of living his life to help accomplish that mission, even though he never went to India or any of these other places. Yeah, and that was a quote um, by contemporaries who knew him, I believe, as his funeral or after his death. Um, and... Uh, they saw his, his passion and his commitment and his sacrifice. Um, but there's also a, a juicy quote in that article uh, from Fuller's uh, diary itself, where he says that, you know, this mission was birthed at a time when he was really low spiritually. And I, I think it had, if I remember right, something, the death of his first wife was a large part of that, but that, but um, being now involved in such a huge way in what the British Baptists were starting to do in India with this, you know, big biblical theology behind it um, really revived his soul and was a source of great joy for him uh, through those decades of uh, toil on behalf of the, the ministry, the mission. Well, this might be a curveball, but here's the last question I want to throw at you. If Andrew Fuller was looking at the churches today, um, especially churches of that more Reformed Baptistic stream um, that he ministered in uh, and their heirs today, what, what would he see as the areas where, you know, we really need to be reawakened in terms of how we're engaging in mission locally or globally? You know, we are living in a day when of a revival of Reformed theology, Calvinistic theology, and and missions interest and vision. So um, I'm really heartened by that. And uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just go back. I don't think we can talk enough about this problem, this um, this dichotomy between um, robust theological thinking in, in, in sort of one sphere and on one hand, and then um, so much of the missions mobilizing and equipping and going and, and working. That's just um, under equipped from a theological perspective and um, sort of, um, you know, the need to bridge those worlds in, in various ways. And so that's, I think maybe that's the answer to the question. I'm sure he would put his finger on that too and, and um, be a part of trying to do something about that. Well, that, that's actually helpful. And that's, that's awesome. Travis, how can people get a hold of you and some of what you've written? How can they learn more, read more? Yeah, you could access uh, my faculty page at the Bethlehem College and Seminary website. Uh, you, there's a bibliography there. There's links to um, articles online, some scholarly things, as well as some more devotional things at websites like Desiring God and Nine Marks and the Journal of Global Christianity um, that Training Leaders International publishes. Um, so that's probably the best way, or just Google my name and missions, <laughs> I suppose. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Well, we'll include some of those notes, um, th- some of those links in the show notes. Travis, thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation. Thank you for the invitation. It's been my pleasure. 
If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. Until next time, thank you for joining us.